On the Other Side was a production of the Open Stories Foundation between July 19th and October 25th of 2018. It has since been taken offline by Open Stories, but you can now find an archive of all 15 episodes on chrisway.com O-T-O-S or on whatever podcast app you're listening to right now. On the Other Side was a podcast project dedicated to discussing religious, post-religious, and religion-adjacent issues from a distinctly millennial perspective. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of On the Other Side, Millennials and Religion. Um, just a brief outline for those of you who may be new to the show. This is just a podcast where we talk about religious and spiritual and other kind of religion-adjacent issues uh, from the perspective of millennials specifically. I am one of the hosts, Chris Way, and the structure that we're going to go with is uh, every week you might hear from a different host. Uh, me and the other hosts, Michelle Ross and Blake Wright, are going to take turns interviewing various guests, talking about specific topics, and then every three or four weeks we'll get together and have a group discussion and, and share things that insights that we've gained and maybe uh, dig into other uh, broader topics. Today's topic is sexuality, values, and faith transition, and I have here Kristen Benyon. Hello. Uh, she's a certified sex therapist and mental health, health therapist, and I have Chris Deuce. Hi there. Uh, he is a podcast host for a podcast called Celestial Sex. Uh, we'll give you some links and plugs uh, for that towards the end. Um, but uh, yeah, Kristen and, and uh, Chris, welcome to the podcast. We're happy to, to have you. It's good to be here. Thank you, Chris. We thought that we would talk today just about, like I said, sexuality, values, and faith transition. And a lot of our listeners are going to be um, people kind of going through maybe a faith transition away from Mormonism, um, maybe people of other religions, people, uh, just millennials in general, who are having a complicated relationship with their faith or with their spirituality. And today we wanted to focus on how that complicated relationship kind of intersects with um, sexuality and how we define ourselves um, with regard to values and behaviors and ideas uh, surrounding sexuality. So um, obviously as, you know, therapists and, and or as a podcast host talking about um, sex, what are, what are some of the, you guys have talked to a lot of people, what are some of the common challenges that you've seen folks have with, with regard to their sexuality, uh, like during and, and after faith transitions? Um, I can jump in really quick on this sure. one. Um, I will say the overwhelming majority Kind of report some some sort of levels of of sexual shame, like shame related to whether or not they have had experience, whether whether or not they have not. Like just kind of darned if you do, darned if you don't. Not knowing where to start. Um, you know, kind of a lot of the old, you know, the the scripts that they have uh, been either raised in or have been living in about our own worth and connected to very much so connected to sexuality and their sexual experience or, or whatnot um, still comes up, even if intellectually they are challenging it. Okay. Yeah. And jumping off that, like with, uh, because we came, come from a culture that uh, uses shame as a tactic to teach and to control, it becomes so normal that as you're having new experiences, your go-to feeling would be shame rather than approaching new sexual experiences with curiosity or excitement. 
maybe there is some of that natural curiosity that is battling the the shame that uh, you were taught to feel before. So uh, learning to approach sex with curiosity and confidence uh, is a huge challenge for for all of us. Yeah. I mean, it, especially especially if like you are single and you're leaving the church. And you don't have a partner that uh, you trust already to explore sex with. Um, someone who uh, maybe, like, if, if you were married and you're, you and your spouse are both leaving the church or just you're leaving the church, there is the, that bedrock of trust to explore sex outside of church with them. Um, but if you're single and let's say you didn't have sex when you were Mormon, then it can be uh, very scary, yeah. super nerve-wracking. There's a lot, like a whole new world all at once that you may not feel adequately prepared to, to deal with, it sounds like. Absolutely. And in addition to that, it can also hit in many, the, the, the shame and uneasiness or whatnot can hit in many areas of someone's life. So not only on like a personal uh, journey, so to speak, you know, where they're kind of grappling with their own, like, what do I want to do? Establishing my own values, what feels right, what doesn't to me. Um, there, it can also hit their social support. So if the majority of their social network is, you know, active practicing members of a, of a faith, um, they often don't have anyone to talk to about it because it, they don't feel that they would understand or they would judge or, you know, kind of maybe be pigeonholed into that belief that they just wanted to go sin, quote unquote, you know? Yeah. Um, and so instead of, you know, when in reality they're trying to actually go about this in a very thoughtful um, way with limited resources, at least in the beginning. So what, uh, what are some tools or skills you have seen um, with people struggling with, you know, I mean, it sounds like you both have identified very similar issues that, that you've seen in people like these, um, patterns, these thought patterns of shame, uh, this lack of support or lack of like a bedrock or someone to lean on. Um, how do people, what have you seen that's been successful with, with people trying to deal with that, trying to um, overcome that challenge or that shame or that lostness or, or scariness of that transition? Yeah. So asking a lot of questions that your, your ability to speak up and ask a question is I think the biggest tool that you can have in your tool belt. Uh, and those questions can come up. Uh, like Kristen was saying, a lot of times your friends and your family, if, if they happen to still be Mormon or part of uh, the faith that you grew up in, you can't ask them. So who do you ask? Well, as you begin dating, let's say you're your first steps into dating outside of your singles ward are on Tinder or on Bumble. And as you meet people, it's important to, uh, to guard yourself, to uh, determine your boundaries and keep your boundaries. But you can ask people that you're, you're meeting outside of the context of your church uh, about, about sex. Uh, let's say you're dating someone for a long enough period of time that you feel comfortable to ask them about their sex life and about the kinds of things that they like. Well, if if you can ask them what they like, then that opens up a conversation for you to start exploring verbally the kinds of things that you like or might like. Asking them like uh, how they protect themselves against sex. 
uh, not that against sexually transmitted uh, right. infections. Yeah, and how they protect themselves just against sex. Like, how thick is their snowsuit? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of chastity belt are they wearing? Where did they get it? Uh, hey, some people are into that. Yeah, uh, no? yeah, that's we, true. We don't- we don't yuck people's yum on this podcast, right? Absolutely. That's right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so like, let's say you uh, decide to start having sex with someone. That's a great opportunity to ask a lot of questions. Um, you can also ask uh, doctors. You can go to Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood is an amazing resource with doctors and nurses and people who are trained there to talk about sex all day. It's a good place to talk about uh, contraception and, uh, yeah, barrier methods using condoms uh, and, of course, birth control and, and all sorts. Of, any, any question you could have about sex, if you were to go to a Planned Parenthood and spend some time there with someone, they, they will answer all of your questions. Or many of them. Cool. One of the things that I really try to help my clients do is establish their own sexual values, um, because a lot are coming from a you know a, a template or a blueprint where it was all handed to them of what is right, wrong, a set of values uh, or whatnot. And so to move it from what used to be fairly act centered, right, like it's very behavioral in right. when people are in the church, to more principle centered, right? So having them establish like what principles they want to base their own uh, values around sexuality with. And a lot of times that includes, you know, consent, not exploiting people um, or being exploited, protection against STIs and fun pregnancy, you know, yeah. honesty, <laughs> you know, hopefully it's pleasurable for both or all involved, right? And so just becoming really familiar with things that, that resonate with principles that resonate with them. And then they can construct their behaviors around those themes. I like that a lot. It sounds like, um, like the opposite of, of, of proof text. Like instead of, instead of like looking for the rules in the text, um, like building the rules, right. Based on principles, you have to find the, the core principle first and then adapt to that or find, find how that would manifest in, in real life situations. But that sounds like a lot of hard introspective work like how do you help clients or uh, interview subjects or you know the people that you guys are talking to how do you help them figure out how to write those rules because i mean you're right uh kristen like part of part of the comfort of mormonism is that uh you don't have to do a lot of that kind of work you know i mean we're encouraged to in in mormon culture like Mm -hmm. yeah be thought be a thoughtful saint be a thoughtful disciple you know there's there's all sorts of like rhetoric about that but the way that structurally mormonism works is is often quite legalistic right there's a there's a sense in which you're mm-hmm. you're given the boundaries and you're asked not to cross over them you know not to answer the temple recommend questions incorrectly not to answer the not to follow the pamphlet incorrectly you know that everything's laid out so how do you how do you teach people or how do you teach yourself to rewrite that paradigm or that that process so instead of following the manual you're writing your own manual one one good way is through self-exploration, through masturbation and through uh, reading erotica, fantasizing, indulging your fantasies and spending time alone exploring uh, your own body. And I mean, our body is filled with nerve endings, right? Yeah. 
And there's countless ways to stimulate those nerve endings. And in Mormonism, there's so much stigma around masturbation. And there's so much stigma around indulging your fantasies. So now that uh, hopefully that uh, block isn't there anymore, uh, hopefully you can give yourself permission to uh, begin exploring on your own the types of things that feel good to you or don't feel good to you. And uh, as you spend time touching yourself and, and thinking about things, that can help uh, start to set, like you're saying, a new, like a new template for what, uh, the, what your sex life uh, will be like or could be like. Because as you learn what you like, you can tell your future partners uh, how to touch you, what to say to you, uh, you can introduce different uh, toys in the bedroom. And the best way to uh, get acquainted with a toy is alone, mm. at least at first. It's a great way to introduce a toy into your life. And those kinds of, uh, those kinds of tools and, and just the, the ability to be curious and to give yourself permission to feel good and... Uh, start setting a template for sex that involves pleasure and uh, satisfaction for yourself and has less to do with uh, meeting a criteria that you feel like the church has set for you <laughs> as far as like the types of sex you should be having. Right. Um, at that, I think at that point you can start to rewire your brain, so to speak. I think in, I agree with everything that Chris just said. And in addition to that, um, I find myself and I work a lot with women, not solely, but I work with a lot of women and it still just blows my mind how much it is still um, common for there to be difficulty with assertiveness and negotiating one's own desires and the pressure to still take care of the other person's feelings over what, you know, identifying that, that they are deserving of pleasure mm. as well, right? So it's not a one versus the other, but it's a, this is what we're doing together and we both deserve to feel pleasure. And if you don't, man or woman, you know, if don't know what they pref have, have your preferences identified of what they do like and what you don't like, um, that is really a setup for quite a bit of miscommunication and not very pleasurable experiences, yeah. right? And on, on one hand, on the other hand, it can lead to uh, experiences of non-consent, right? And so one of the things that I find myself, one of the many things is um, making sure that there are skills there, at least in principle of knowing how to negotiate assertiveness um, and consent. And consent to me, I explain it in a way of it's not only is it like being able to set limits with what's not okay, but it's also like, hey, this to, to be able to say what is, right? What someone does want, right? And what someone does, you know, prefer as they invite that person into that part of their life or have I like that a them. lot, that distinction. Because, yeah, consent is not just about permission or the absence of no, right? It's about communication. It's about this mm -hmm. is what I want. This is what I don't want. This is mm -hmm. what makes me comfortable. This is what doesn't yeah. make me comfortable. I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely is. That's one of the things that I, I find a lot of people who are going through a faith transition or have maybe left uh, their the church. Um, the The topic of sexual assertiveness is just 
baffling. Like they just have never had someone talk to them about how it, about the how, right? They're, they've always been told yeah. what, what to do and what not to, but they're even in the faith, there's, there's never been a discussion of, okay, and this is how you negotiate those things, or that's how you maintain a certain set of values. It's, it's just always just what. And so uh, there's no transition of just flipping what they were doing before. It's learning a brand new concept, brand new skill set. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's a fascinating like gap. I think that Mormon, uh, mm-hmm. Mormon culture is, has, you know, this, this inability to teach members how to have those conversations. What, like, what could, I'm just wondering what Absolutely. could fix that? Like, how could we, how could that ever be patched? You know, what would, what would you guys love to see changing in Mormon culture or in the way that, you know, Mormon discourse talks about sex and consent and the rules. Um, how could that be transformed potentially, or even just, you know, utopian hypothetical, uh, in, in, in a, in a way that would empower members either still active or going through a transition or even after a transition to, to feel more, um, assertive or more, uh, more of that permission to be assertive in that way. I think uh, one way that uh, people in the church can start thinking about sex differently is outside of the law of chastity. The law of chastity is essentially the the blueprint that the church has given for people for how how to explore sexuality, and the law of chastity is basically a list of right. don'ts. So you you need to. You need to basically accept that the church has not provided uh, any of these tools to explore the what's possible and stop looking to them for yeah. permission. Um, and I mean, if, if I had it my way, there we would do away with the law of chastity and it would become a, a new law of chastity that's the law yeah. of consent. Consent Consent is the, I think, the the purer form of the law of chastity. I think the intentions behind the law of chastity uh, are <laughs> are somewhat nefarious for one. But two, I think there there are certain qualities about it that are positive, which are uh, protecting yourself from potentially uh, psychologically harmful or physically harmful situations. Right. Now it fa- it fails in many regards because there's not a language of consent in the church, but by adopting a language of consent, which uh, is determining your own uh, set of do's, wants, and your own set of don'ts, I think is super important. Here's an example: in the church, it is ostensibly taught and understood that uh, men are to be. Uh, placated sexually by their wives. That is an idea that was passed down to me from the the men ahead of me in the church. Uh, I felt that strongly, that basically uh, <laughs> if I worked hard enough on my mission, I would be gifted by God a beautiful, physically attractive wife who was uh, ready and supposed to have sex with me at any moment, like straight out of mm. Handmaid's Tale, uh, <laughs> bonkers, 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 bonkers. And uh, that idea uh, is it is the opposite of giving consent. It's it's expecting sex, right? And 
had I been handed a language of every single person uh, has autonomy over their body. I mean, you could even throw it into the God gave you the body. Uh, God gave you this body and you can do what you want with it as long as uh, it makes you happy and the person that you're doing with it with is also happy. And as you adopt that into your life, at that point, it, it the only limits are, <laughs> I guess, like what uh, does or doesn't hurt you or other people. And I think there is where you can find uh, yeah. joy, actually being happy rather than uh, having a life uh, filled uh, with the restrictions. I think for me, I think you asked, you know, what, what could change even if we're aiming, yeah. it seems somewhat utopian. Um, you know, it's the language around sexuality and for sure coming to my mind are the, the kiddos and adolescents in the, you know, in the church and that are maybe those who are experiencing a faith transition or whatnot. They grew up in the church. Um, there is all of the rhetoric and is very gendered, right? Like Chris was just saying, there's kind of this, this sense of entitlement that if he lives righteously, he'll be rewarded with a, a woman, which is horrific if you really break yeah. down what that is implying, right? That she's not an she's actor in and of herself, right? Yeah. And right, right, yeah. And so she's she's not one that could participate in her own sexual experiences. She's participated upon, right? And so, and that language is not that over in, um, well, in some cases it is, but um, but it's in it's it's hidden in in a lot of the the different lessons that the young men young women get, and it's also a lot of the cultural lessons. I, mean, I think Chris, did you just say that you were? It was like some of your social support in the church taught you that, right? And so I, for me, I think that there's it. It would be wonderful if they if there would be a shift in like emphasizing sexual autonomy, even even if it's still you know, emphasize to wait until marriage or whatnot, but your body is yours and there's ownership there instead of like playing yeah. defense for the young women, right? Like just setting them up to play defense their whole life. And it's, if something happens, then it's their fault, yeah. which is that rape culture, right? And so um, I would love for that to change. In addition to that, you know, like a lot of us who are pro, you know, comprehensive sex education, part of, and this is just nationwide, certainly, but um, a part of comprehensive sexuality um, education is just basic relationships, relationship 101, you know, like treating people with respect, you know, and um, issues related to consent for sure. But a lot of people, you know, buck against it because they think that it's just getting really explicit with young kids. And it's not, it's not, it's actually um, supporting healthy sexual development because, kids are developing sexually, whether people want yeah. to accept that or, or not. Or whether they're comfortable talking about it or not. I, I have another idea on this. Uh, so a lot of our language about marriage and gender identity comes from the proclamation. And the, the proclamation is an incredibly flawed document. The more time you spend with its origins and the way in which uh, we've carried out its message uh, is so harmful and 
just does not take into account uh, human beings' experiences that are not uh, cis uh, men, right? It, it doesn't. It, it, that is a document written by old guys for old guys. And old guys who uh, were, you know, born male uh, at birth. So the church at some point will evolve to this, but they need to evolve to the point that they recognize that sexual and gender identity are uh, are a person's uh, choice. <laughs> Whether or not they, even if they were not born believing that they were male or female and not in male or female bodies, born believing they were gay or not gay. It, uh, however somebody chooses to live that makes them happy has to be embraced. And it, it doesn't matter if they can't wrap the doctrine around it. it when you deny somebody's uh, personhood and choice uh, when it comes to their gender and sexual identity, you are robbing them of a fulfilling life. And if the church's purpose is to help people feel fulfilled and be happy and bring them eternal joy. They have to start embracing uh, every gender and sexual identity that is intrinsically tied to uh, our feelings of self-worth and our, our mental health, all of those things that help us have uh, healthy, healthy sex yeah. lives. That's what we're talking about. Um, yeah, if, if you're, uh, you know, if you're a queer person and you cannot safely uh, and openly explore your queer identity, um, you are you are living an unhealthy life. That has to be embraced. That has to be applauded. That has to be uh, allowed into the full scope of of covenants and blessings. Gay people need to be able to get married in the temple. It's it's. It's too late already. Yeah, I totally agree. I think to um, this this kind of doctrine of celestial heteronormativity, right? This this notion that heaven is straight is very toxic, and and I think it's wrapped up in, or or at least it contributes <laughs> to the patriarchy that you guys were talking about earlier. You know, this the way that we talk about sex in Mormon discourse is often. Um, tied up in, in notions of, of entitlement, right? Of like you are owed sex um, if you're a man who is, you know, following all the Mormon rules, right? This this notion, I think, yeah, this entitlement uh, doctrine entitlement. Is, is is inextricably linked, I think, to the, to the model of celestial heteronormativity and patriarchy that is that is uh, exemplified. And then, like you said, the, the proclamation in, in, what was that, 95 or something, um, for our non-Mormon listeners, that's a uh, a document that the church released in the 90s, um, basically outlining a, a very essentialist uh, vision of what gender is, of what families are, of what um, mothers and fathers are all about. Um, and it's interesting because, I mean, I think even though that is exemplary of a lot of the toxic things with regard to Mormonism and sex. It also has, you know, the, there is this, there are seeds of healthier visions of sexuality in Mormon theology, right? Like uh -huh. we have this notion of, of a heavenly father and a heavenly mother. So there's this theology of 
um, of motherhood and of femininity that can be just as divine, just as entitled to pleasure and love and happiness and uh, power as masculinity is, right? So there's this sacred femininity that, you know, maybe that could be one way to approach it doctrinally is, is um, if Mormonism were to embrace this image of, you know, there are more than one gender in heaven and there are more than one perspective in heaven and there's more than one identity in heaven and uh, godliness isn't just the the male who's in charge, who wrote all the books and who gives all the rules. Um, maybe that could be one step in the right direction. I don't know. I'm just spitballing there, but. Jerky. <laughs> yes. Kind of going to have to go if the if if the celestial yeah. heteronormativity is going to go. Yeah, father fatherhood needs to be no. dethroned okay. as the uh, as the inherent like you know king kinghood. You know, it needs to be treated as as not inherently um, presiding. Right. Well, now that you know, if this audience is post religious, yeah, make up your own heaven. <laughs> Or have no, he- or have no heaven at all. But if you're going to have a heaven, make up your own heaven where, uh, yeah, where there is no patriarchy and every identity is uh, embraced. You know, and I think this this part of this conversation is so relevant to this overall topic that we're talking about: the post-religion um, and construction of one's own sexual identity and sexual values and whatnot. Because anyone who's coming from either Mormonism or a similar has been or a similar religion has been heavily yeah. gendered in their life right just just and i'm just kind of emphasizing things we've just talked about but you know proclamation to the family um the separation of young men young men's and women's like just different youth groups um and adult groups as well like just have very strong this is what in like you said essentialist like this is what is right for a woman this is the the quote unquote, right way to be a woman. This is the right way to be a man. And it is incredibly narrow and and incredibly limiting um, for multitudes of reasons. Um, Because us humans are freaking awesome and we're complex and we can be a ton of things and we're meant to be a ton of things. And if we feel like we have to stay smaller which is what a lot of my clients have told me they had to, they had to, it's like their light had to be dim mm. in order to be able to go to stay in the faith. And they are so sick of, it, it was literally making them sick, right. To, to live beneath like less than what they know they can and what they should experience. Right. And so I just think it's really, um, can be really rewarding to deconstruct a lot of this stuff in order to be able to construct something that yeah, is absolutely. incredibly deep and meaningful. Also, like this does Mormonism does not exist in a vacuum. So many of these ideas filter out into the rest of society. And in many areas of society, you're going to find people who will tell you that if you don't identify with your gender that you were assigned at birth, that you have a uh, mental health disorder, that you are mm-hmm. you are a sick person. Um, and the patriarchy, of course, exists outside of Mormonism as well. Uh, when, when we when we talk about sex positivity and and these ideas, these ideas will be knocked down everywhere you go. And that is, uh, it is exhausting. And finding people that agree with you outside of church, if you happen to 
uh, be a sex positive person, as I hope all of the listeners are, finding people who are like you is very hard. Finding people who uh, can think about these things with you, it 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 is difficult. It, it it's hard. I just want to yeah create a uh, little moment here to acknowledge that uh, exploring who you are as a person yeah. is, is never easy. And a lot of people want to make it difficult for you. And it, it, like, thank God you're on the other side of, of religion. If you happen to be in that situation or will be soon, uh, it, it, it stays hard. So, so finding uh, good friends and people who will listen and are like-minded is very important. And sometimes if you live in a more rural area, you may only be able to find those people online. If you live in a city, big city, it's a little bit easier if you uh, yeah. go out and, and start meeting new people. Um, th they do exist. I've, I've found them. I talk to them all the time on my show. Uh, but not everyone has the the privilege <laughs> of the time to run a sex positive podcast. So it, it, it is, no, that's a really it is hard point. I, I, I know I, it's hard. I think that ties into what you were saying at the beginning is that the first step is just to start these conversations with people because you need to find supportive, open-minded or like-minded um, individuals that will, yeah, that will share that sex positive kind of outlook. I think that's super, super healthy. And you're right. It's very hard. I, I have this, this theory that like sex and religion are both hard to talk about for similar reasons. You know, I was, um, I was in a, a class last semester called religion and TV and we were talking about why certain shows or networks are afraid to kind of be overtly religious or even if they have religion in the text, they're afraid to, um, be too explicit about it in their marketing material and my, my thought is that it's the same reason why we're all afraid to talk about sex publicly or even privately. Like everyone's experience with religion or with sex is so private, so intimate, um, so individual. And it, it feels like this kind of invasion of something. Um, it feels voyeuristic to be talking too much about it. And there's this, I think there's this Puritan kind of like sensibility that just Western culture, maybe specifically American um, culture has has really uh, inherited <laughs> that we don't know how to shake, but it's really hard to talk about sex. It's hard to talk about it with, with people. It's hard to find people that are comfortable um, exploring these topics and these questions and these, and these issues um, in a way that's healthy and open and nuanced. Cause, cause yeah, I think everyone is, is discomforted by being too explicit about it. And Kristen, this goes back to what you were saying about people don't even want to teach kids about sex, even if they know that it would be healthy for a kid to know they don't want, they don't want to trust a teacher with that responsibility because it's, because it's scary. Right. Yeah. No, I completely, I completely agree. Um, and one of the things that was coming up for me just there, when you were saying that it, it kind of brought up another, um, kind of tip or whatever that I often will bring in with my clients is to, um, because I completely agree that it is almost jarring at first when people are not used to talking about sex, sexuality. The only examples they've had are ones that make them uncomfortable um, or po probably mm. not accurate in any way or not a model to follow after in any way. Um, and so some of the things I'll suggest, I'll, you know, is find like, you know, podcasts like Celestial Sex or other, other um, 
podcast where you're getting used to other people who are talking about it in the way that you resonate with. You might not agree with them, right? But you're getting used to people talking about these things that we have all been trained to believe should stay, and I'm using air quotes, should stay private. Right. And it, it's OK if you want it to stay private. Right. But you but it's it's also OK to to expose yourself to other people who are being thoughtful yeah. and, you know, maybe funny and whatever, you know, with a very serious topic, because that can be really helpful <laughs> to laugh a little bit when these things get so serious. Um, but, yeah, to be, be selective with who you're listening to or who what authors you're reading. But when you find those that you somewhat resonate with, listen to them yeah. because it's some it's somewhat of like an exposure therapy, right? Like kind of undoing some of that that training that we've been told that don't talk about that. You can't talk about that. You know, like and yes, you can. You, you can choose you can be thoughtful about how you talk about it too. That's okay. One of my hmm. favorite ones is Savage Love Cast. He's great. Yeah, Dan yeah. Savage has been writing about and talking about sex for like two decades. Mm-hmm. And his on his show, he answers questions. And people call in, they leave a voicemail, and he spends a long time answering the question. He's, he's a very liberal guy, and uh, his podcast is uh, heavy on the political mm-hmm. side, which I appreciate and enjoy because sex and politics are intrinsically tied but absolutely uh, his show is really good another good one is sex talk with my mom which is a mother and son who uh interview people about sex and she she's a self-identified cougar that's what she calls herself (laughs) it's part of her brand she's written a book on being a cougar and her son is a comedian and they talk very openly about sex and I'll throw in another one is sex with Emily. She she's cool. a lot similar to Dan Savage. Not not as political though. <laughs> oh, and and, so, oh, and and any of Natasha Helfer Parker's podcast. For our listeners, we will of include course. links yeah. to those. That, yeah. Those sound awesome. I, I'll have to check those out. <laughs> yeah. In fact, a lot of times I'll just I'll suggest that they listen to and I'll list the ones that we just did, and and I'll preface like just be aware of like how you feel when you're listening to these things and start asking yourself why do I feel that way right so if there's like a a reaction of disgust or a reaction of like fear or reaction of oh my gosh turn it off that's that's okay to turn off you off if you want to but but start pumping the brakes with why am I reacting this way is this coming from my own core values or is this coming from a little bit of mindfulness something I've kind of been trained to respond to I think that's Really, that's uh, that's really helpful <laughs> advice, and I think that that can be applied generally to just navigating a faith crisis in general, right? Like something, especially out of Mormonism. Like in Mormonism, uh, we are often absolutely paradoxically encouraged to both you know seek education and also like not seek education, you know, as as you guys know, like Mormon culture is very wary of outside sources, <laughs> right? Anything that's not church approved is, is labeled as anti-Mormon. It's labeled as apostate. It's labeled as dangerous. And so I think people who grow up Mormon or who spend significant time of their life in Mormonism um, get, yeah, they inherit this, this fear of like sources that are going to damage their core values. Um, and it's so important once you get, once you get further away from Mormonism or out of it entirely to uh, relearn how to investigate sources, you know, openly. And that doesn't mean that everything is true or that everything is good right but it does mean that uh, you have to relearn how to open that door and to uh, be um 
thoughtful about you know what what makes you comfortable and what makes you uncomfortable and like you said Kristen why does it make you uncomfortable right because some of the reasons might be totally in line with your actual values and some of them might just be uh this makes me uncomfortable because I have been uh pre like I've been taught to to be yeah I've been socialized to be uncomfortable with this sort of talk for years and I forgot how to not be yeah I think that's really important Oh, an- another good place to talk about it and hear this kind of stuff is, is therapy. Talk to somebody like Kristen. Go to therapy. Begin saying out loud all of the hangups that you may have had or the things that you were taught that you no longer agree with or the questions, that, the things that are confusing. When, when you're in therapy, it, it is an hour to just yeah. talk and just, have, just, just get out of your head, right? And uh, therapy has been invaluable for... Uh, coming into my own when it comes to my own uh, sexual identity and needs and wants. And it's a place to just try on a, a desire or fantasy or, or whatever, uh, depending on your relationship with your therapist or how comfortable you are saying these things to uh, uh, your therapist. But it is it is somewhat a, a mental health professional uh, is a just a great person to talk to about this kind of stuff. I completely agree. I, I agree and piggyback on that a little bit. It is one of the coolest parts of my job to witness people saying words they've never said before, like really trying to find words and um, that, that, you know, it's all pre-verbal, right? They've got these, these things they haven't um, articulated before. And there is, there is something incredibly powerful and I would probably say necessary to saying it out loud with someone else there, right? Because a lot of people who've gone through a faith or are going through a faith transition or have gone through, they have sat (laughs) on the rabbit hole on the internet, like just by themselves lots of times, right? And they've never, maybe they've typed things out and, you know, bantered back and forth online, but they've never said it and articulated it and saying, this is how I am feeling today. This is where I am at today. Um, And, a lot of times they have been in heavily influenced to be very careful with what they say because right. their whole identity is about to be judged upon what's going to come out of their mouth. And so to be able to practice saying it the wrong yeah. way and then maybe, or I'm saying air quotes, you know, saying it however it comes out and saying, wait, let me restate state that, you know, it's beautiful and powerful and I believe it's necessary. There's something really profound about, uh, the kind of learning that happens when you articulate with your words, you know, vocally something that you've never been able to do before. Like, yeah, like you said, even if you've written about it, even if you've read about it, even if you've listened to podcasts about it, like there's something about forming a new vocabulary with your mouth and and throwing it out into the world, even if it's messy at first, that's like really transformative and reifying and and, uh, empowering. I agree. Yeah, it's huge. And and your friends may get tired of hearing you talk about the podcast that you like, <laughs> like what you're learning about sex. And uh, I spend half of my therapy sessions just talking about what I heard on a podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's great. It, and it's not it's not a waste of money. It's uh Great. So we've given our listeners a list of podcasts to listen to, and then as soon as they're done with those, they got to go to therapy and process all of it. <laughs> <laughs> that's right listen listen, like that. listen to my podcast it's donate to my circular. podcast and then go see Kristen and pay Kristen <laughs> you have a treatment plan y'all treatment plan um as you guys have talked to 
guests and clients and friends about these things, um, these faith transitions and these and these sexual questions and 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 issues. Um, is there anything that you've heard articulated that you had not even thought of before? Like, tell, can you tell us a little bit about um, maybe something surprising that you learned or that you uh, saw in a new light that you wouldn't have anticipated um, hearing articulated in that specific way? I I remember interviewing a guest who was in her 50s and hearing her express uh, uh, like a, a strong, healthy sex drive and hearing her talk about uh, how much she wanted sex way more than her partner. That blew my mind because I, I guess, had formed this idea in my mind that that women in general, I guess, just did not have uh, strong libidos and couldn't have been more wrong. And hearing her talk about her libido, especially compared to her husband's libido, was very eye-opening. Uh, that also extends to uh, when I've heard different friends of mine talk about uh, the spectrum of their gender identity or or where their sexuality falls on the spectrum. Making assumptions about who people are in relationship to their sexuality based on what they look like, it, you're, you're always going to be wrong. <laughs> and uh, yeah, saving, saving your uh, assumptions and approaching every single person that you discuss uh, sexual and gender identity with, with curiosity and openness is the only way to go because your, your assumptions about another person's, uh, sex life or, or gender identity, they're, you're, they're just wrong. <laughs> and, and, uh, you, you will learn so much more with, uh, an open heart and, and learn to actually, to really love people for, for who they are, uh, by, by being more open. I love that. Uh, for me, what the first thing that came to my mind was with, with that question was, I have been very uh, taken aback or whatever, you know, humbled by recognizing and witnessing the the how like the breadth and the depth of how much grieving people can go through. And now there are some. That like, and and when I say grieving, like grieving, you know, that there was a blueprint given to them, that there was this idea of what was supposed to be definitely having to do with sexuality, largely probably to do with marriage. Um, You know, that if I do all these things, then this is what's going to happen. And this is, and I'm going to get all these eternal rewards and yay. And it's shiny and beautiful. Right. And so when that shelf cracks, it can bring up levels of grieving that can oftentimes be very surprising where it'll show up, right? Like, like I've had some clients where it's, it's in the decision-making to when they haven't had, let's say if they're heterosexual, if they haven't had like intercourse before and they're making that choice to move forward. Like I've, I've had clients where that there's just an overt grieving going on even though intellectually they're going, no, I want, this is right for me. I'm like past the time that it, you know, I want these experiences. I, you know, this is a healthy part of me, but something deep inside them is, is grieving, you know? Um, and so I've been really just really 
aware, become really aware of how much grieving can can happen and oftentimes in unpredictable times and places. That's great. Yeah. Um, that's really good insight. It's hard. It's harder than, than we anticipate. Right. Also, also, uh, as I've interviewed people, I've been surprised by the extent to which we are all beginners. I, I think a preconceived notion I had or, uh, was, an assumption was that people were, everyone else was much more sexually experienced than I was. And I, I, I don't know why I carried that assumption. I, I think that assumption was maybe brought from like my teenage years where other people definitely had way more sexual experience than I did. But as you're, as you're exiting religion, and especially if you were not married uh, when you were Mormon and you're having sex for the first time, it is okay to be a beginner. And I think looking at it through that lens is extremely helpful uh, rather than uh, uh, approaching it from the uh, sense of like inadequacy or uh, just uh, approaching it as a beginner with the amount of openness that you would have if you were learning how to build an automobile for the first time. You know, I, I want to say something in addition to that, because I think that is an incredibly good point. Um, I, I think that there often tends to be a response of like, um, never good enough. Like I haven't had enough ex- sexual experience or I've had too much or whatever. Like people just have these narratives that they tell themselves. And a lot of times when people are exiting, so let's say they feel like they've had not enough experience or whatnot. My, I guess, tip is please just be compassionate with yourself because the reality is out there, if somebody is judging you for not having enough, like they are yeah, good to know, because that's not the right person for you. And there is a lot of people out there, Mormon or not, or post-Mormon or not, that have different experiences with their own sexual history. The only thing that you need to worry about is where you're at today and that you are trying to enjoy this adventure of self-discovery and sexual discovery, right? And so being cruel to yourself is not going to help at all, nor is it. It's not necessary. Yeah, that's really important. I think it's, I think that's, that's bigger than Mormonism, that problem of, of shame and of self-doubt and of this like, uh, yeah, lack of compassion for yourself, as you put it. I think that's, that's a, that's a problem generally in culture. I don't, I don't know where that comes from, but there's, there's definitely something kind of universal about, um, not being happy with your own sexual experience, whether too much or too little and having some degree of shame attached to uh, how you're performing compared to how you wish you were or how you have been taught to expect that you will be. Um, yeah, that takes a while to deconstruct. I think that's, that's really good to point out. Uh, do you guys have, I think we're uh, just about towards the end of kind of our session. Um, do you have any like final words of advice or encouragement that you would hope our listeners would take away from this discussion. Um, I've appreciated that we've gone in several different directions. I've appreciated all your insights, but if there's anything that you were like, Oh, I'm dying to say this, but I didn't know how to fit it in. Um, now's your chance. Like any, any kind of final counsel that you might, guys might have. I, I have a, a couple final, uh, ideas or yeah, points. Uh, the first one is as you're exiting religion, I'm sure these feelings of, of letting go of what your family thinks are, are coming up. And uh, if your family is still religious, it, it is a very difficult thing to grapple with. 
we, we want to make our mom happy. You know, we want to, yeah. we, we want to, we want to be able to have pleasant Christmases and family reunions and, and those feelings, I, that's a universal feeling. And it, I, that, uh, extends to, uh, our sex lives. And I think because like we were talking about at the beginning of the show, it can be difficult to bring up sex with, uh, with your family and, and talk about it openly with them. That uh, probably isn't going to change now that you've left the church. In fact, it may become even uh, more difficult to discuss. And I think that if, it, you know, if you are an adult, especially, to begin letting go of what they think and to uh, start doing things because they make you happy rather than your family uh, is extremely important and very difficult to do, but it, it is, it is part of it. Your, your mom is probably not going to like it when you start having sex outside of marriage. And that's just the reality for a lot of people, um, who have living mothers who are LDS. If you're lucky, she'll talk to you about it and you can confide in her, but you know, we're not all lucky. So getting to the point where you don't have to talk to her about it is probably important. Um, also to, to research, learn, I guess I was talking about this before, but learn how to give and receive pleasure, learn what you like and learn how to ask other people what they like and approach their pleasure uh, with interest and uh, openness, excitement, and approach your own pleasure with interest, openness, and excitement. Um, and then uh, lastly, uh, learn how to actively uh, protect yourself against STIs and unwanted pregnancies. We, uh, we are not invincible. Our bodies are uh, biodegradable. <laughs> we are dying <laughs> and, uh, infection. Some STIs like, uh, herpes don't go away. And if you are having casual sex, you need to use, uh, barriers Wear a fucking condom. And that's, uh, yeah. That's, that's also a really good, I'm just adding, that's also a really good filter for a partner who is worth your time. If somebody gives you crap for asking when they, you, they were last tested or bucks against using a barrier method, um, that's a really good indicator that that's probably not someone who is going to be respectful of you in any of the areas of your life, right? And so getting really good I'm sorry, I just jumped in like that, but getting skilled at asking when someone was last tested and being able to negotiate those types of things in order to protect your body first, right? Protect, but also, you know, like use, like engage with someone else, right? And so just being able to negotiate those things, getting good at it, how like your own words and what what ways you go about checking those boxes in order to be able to have the most pleasurable fun, connected sexual experience that, you know, you can have imperfect as they all are or can be, um, you know, that is a skill that's absolutely necessary. Yeah, absolutely. Um, did you have any other final thoughts, Kristen or? 
Yep, I just got a couple. Um, it, you know, Chris was saying, um, well, I just want to add on to that, inform yourself. So, you know, we've covered a little bit of this today, but find resources that resonate with you. Find authors or thought leaders or influencers that um, that resonate with you and listen to them, not because you're going to just buy in hook, line, and sinker. You're just exposing yourself to, simu- to people who resonate with you in order for you to continue saying, well, why do I like that? Why do I not? And kind of continuing to formulate your own sexual identity and sexual values system, right? Um, and so that's one of the biggest ones, but also prepare to make mistakes, <laughs> prepare to go, oops, that was maybe a little bit outside of what might be my core values. Um, and if that is the case, like what, what am I going to do when I do, you know, violate my own values because I didn't know or whatnot. Right. Because not everyone is going to like all the things on the table. <laughs> like that's okay yeah. to not like certain things. It's okay to discover that you, that that's not your cup of tea. Right. Um, and I think that's a big misconception out there is that when people, um, transition away from the religious values that they, you know, were associating with that it's anything goes. And that's absolutely not true. Like some, like it's, it, 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 everyone's different, (laughs) no matter all across the board. It has nothing to do with whether or not somebody has been religious or not. We are all born with a sexual template with, with potential for things that we may like and who we may be attracted to those types of things. And so, prepare to make mistakes and have a kind of an idea of what you're going to do for self-care, what you want to do in order to, to remedy that. And then lastly, enjoy the freaking adventure. If you have the, the mentality that this is a, an adventure of self-discovery, right? The, our sexual self, if we want to call it that, is an integral part of who we are as a person. It's how we situate ourselves in life. It's how we present ourselves to the world, to the world, meaning gender, you know, it, it's who we are attracted to. It's, it's what it, it is a part of our everyday life. And if we take it too damn seriously, we are going to just worry ourselves into like, it's not fun. And then what's the point? Right. And so yeah. a lot of times I will say, make sure that no matter what you're doing, you are pleasure and connection oriented versus goal oriented in the past. Like a lot of people who leave um, religion or, well, it's just not, not specific to religion, but Western culture is very goal oriented, right? Got to all have an orgasm at the same time and got to, you know, have this fireworks every time. And otherwise I suck as a sexual partner or whatever and try to get rid of those scripts and say, my, my goal here on out is to focus on being pleasure oriented and connection oriented. And that might be connection with another person. It might be just making sure I'm connected with myself. I love that. Yeah. I think that's one of the inherent difficulties, right? Of throwing out the script of, of maybe a rigid religion or something that is that how do we write a new script without being equally rigid? Right. And you're saying, just don't be rigid. Just, you know, just try to have fun, explore it, be willing to have mistakes and, and, and uh, learn from them. I love that. That's really important. Um, Cool. Well, thank you guys so much for being on the podcast and talking about this topic. It's super important. I know a lot of our listeners are going to be um, excited, I think, to hear uh, some of your insights and, and the resources that we've pointed them to. I think this will be really valuable. Um, I'm appreciative of, of the conversation. I think sex is just so 
uh, difficult to talk about, again, not just because of Mormonism, but, you know, in society in general. It's something that that uh, we are ill-equipped um, sometimes or we feel ill-equipped to, to really dig into. And so I think you've given us some good tools today. So I appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. I had a blast. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Absolutely. Um, so any plugs, let's talk about, uh, Chris, can you let our listeners know, um, like where they can find your podcast and kind of maybe, uh, I'm sure they've gathered by now what it is generally, but maybe if you want to do a brief pitch and, and kind of give them some, some links, uh, where to turn to for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Celestial sex is a conversation podcast. So we probably fall more in the line of like Pete Holmes is you made it weird or, I guess even similar to Mormon stories, but it's it's a conversation uh, with people who grew up religious. Most of our interviews are with people who grew up Mormon, and it's kind of a chronology of their lives and what they were taught about sex when they were younger, and any like earlier sexual experiences that happened, uh, like in their teenage years, and. Uh, if they have left the church or just now that they're adults, how their perspective on sex has changed and what their new uh, values are. So uh, it's, it's storytelling. It's mostly other people's experiences. And uh, sometimes I talk way too much. Oftentimes uh, I don't talk very much at all. Um, We've had great interviews with people who are in mixed orientation marriages where uh, the husband is, gay and the wife is straight. I've had conversations with people who are uh, non-binary, gender identifying, people who are asexual, people who uh, are straight and vanilla and are just now having sex for the first time and figuring it out. Um, That's the show. It's called Celestial Sex. You can find it wherever you download podcasts. And we also have uh, a Patreon account where you can listen to exclusive episodes for patrons. And that is patreon.com slash celestial sex. Awesome. Thanks. And that's the best way to support the show. Cool. Uh, Kristen, anything you want to plug or or, uh, point our listeners towards? Oh, I think my uh, biggest... I think outlet right now is Instagram. So if you want to follow me on Instagram, that'd be great. It's just Kristen Marie Benyon on Instagram. And that's all for today. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much again. Um, And thank you everyone for listening and uh, we'll see you on the other side. Let's go in the garden. You'll find something waiting right there where you left it lying upside. On the Other Side was a production of the Open Stories Foundation between July 19th and October 25th of 2018. Intro and outro theme for this podcast is Everything Stays, a Rebecca Sugar cover by Bly Wallentine. You can find more of Bly's music at blywallentine.com. Everything stays right where you left it.